another episode of Behind the Blazer. In this episode, our host, Scott Sempier, speaks to the Philadelphia Boys Choir and Chorale's own associate director, John Stroud. Did you know when he's not busy leading cadets and assisting Mr. Smith, Mr. Stroud is still very busy. He took time out of his busy schedule to talk about his long, long history in the choir, his other positions, and some of the things he does that make him such an excellent teacher. Enjoy! Behind the Blazers, the official podcast of the Philadelphia Boys Choir and Chorale. We've been singing in Philadelphia and all around the globe for over 50 years. As America's ambassadors of song, we have had many fantastic experiences, traveling to many different countries and meeting amazingly talented and wonderful people. The great leadership and high standards of the choir have allowed us to have these opportunities. This podcast, Behind the Blazer, is designed to introduce you to the Philadelphia Boys Choir culture. Season 2, in particular, highlights some of the many partners we have had in the Philadelphia region who have joined us to help create even more excellent music. For those who have had the privilege of participating in any live music event or have been exposed to it enough times, you realize that a group performing music is a team. Every team has its leaders. And today I have the joy of sitting down with one of the leaders of the Philadelphia Boys Choir and Chorale, John Stroud. Welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Scott. It's good to have you here. It's been a long time coming, I feel like. Mr. Stroud is the Associate Music Director and leads the choir when Jeff Smith is unavailable, among other things. He's certified in the Kodai Teaching Method, as we heard about in Nathan Wadley's interview. And he holds leadership and teaching roles in the Haverford School and is the Artistic Director for the Media Chamber Chorale. So I didn't realize all of this when we were scheduling the interview, but I do appreciate it more and more, having read your biography and everything, that you're even spending time with us here. And thank you for carving out this time. My pleasure. It's wonderful to be able to do something you really love that you're passionate about for your career. So it's just been great. To begin, I want to play you a little bit from season one of Behind the Blazer. These are a few clips that all come together, and I think it's important that you hear this. Jeff Smith, he and John Stroud, both of them boys in the choir, they're just doing an amazing job. They really are. Uh, And they're committed to the boys' mind and soul. Jeff runs the choir and John, and the, the way that they speak to the boys about being part of a group. That, you know, this is this one of those standards that, you know, it has to be upheld. You've obviously worked with Jeff Smith and John Stroud. How's your relationship with them grown? Well, I have utmost respect and trust in both of them for the way that they handle themselves as human beings, but also as professionals. Um, they both have never ceased to impress me with the way they handle very difficult situations with venues and boys and you know, taking this large a choir in and out of all kinds of places and and yeah they I have nothing but respect for them it's very obvious they also care about each individual boy Mr. Stroud and Mr. Smith they are amazing at their job and they really shaped the choir into what they are today. So what are your sentiments when you hear what people have had to say about you and your leadership? Mostly gratitude. This is a labor of love for me, 
and it's really nice to know that others see it that way and that they realize how much we do care about it truly. How long have you been the associate director? I took over as associate director in the spring of 2001 and started teaching the beginning cadets that spring. Uh, so it's been a little over 20 years now. So over 20 years you've been part of the leadership, part of the team in this formal role. And so all these kids, all these years, have been impacted by you, your tutelage, and your care. And that's really an amazing, amazing thing that you can be part of this organization for so long and impact so many people. It's definitely a wonderful thing in my life. It makes it, it's very fulfilling to get to work with all these young men over the years and then to see them grow up and to see how they mature and then become young men and eventually men, a lot of them, which is a little scary thought. It's been, it's been a while. <laughs> yeah. So the oldest people you've taught are probably almost approaching 30. Yep, that's right. The first group of beginning cadets that I had in that spring of 2001, they're all out of college now. Some of them married, which is a very scary <laughs> thought for me because they were such little guys when I had them. Yeah. 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 So I've always seen you as upbeat, chipper, and encouraging. I've heard things about you like you have a vast shoe collection. Um, can you tell us something that the choir might be surprised to learn about you? Do you have any quirks? Quirks? I don't know. I'm a big dog lover. I absolutely love dogs. Started when I was a little kid visiting my aunt's house. She had a big Irish setter, and I just loved that dog. And then eventually, when I was in fourth grade, my mother said to me, John, if you get straight 100s on your report card all the way through, then we will get you a puppy. Wow. But she kind of also knew in the back of her head that I was in Catholic school at the time. Okay. And the highest you can get on your report card in Catholic school is a 99. Oh, no. So, luckily, <laughs> luckily, my fourth grade teacher actually called home and said to my mom, Mrs. Stroud, if I could have given him 100s, he'd have them get him the dog <laughs> wow that's awesome that really wow that's that's a lot of determination to be able to do that at any level fourth grade or any grade seriously so as you've said you're the leader of the beginning cadets you teach the youngest boys who are the least educated musically in this organization what challenges does that present to you to start their musical career professionally i guess well, at seven or eight years old, sometimes nine, most of the beginning cadets haven't had in any opportunities to be in top-tier music groups. We're not looking for boys who have sung at Carnegie Hall yet because they're right. so young. Right. We're really looking for boys who love to sing so that we can see how well they can advance from there. Uh, some of the challenges, actually, are that at seven and eight years old, uh, the reading level is not always there as it is in the older boys in the performing choir. Right. So we do a lot of songs by rote, by memory, okay. and short songs just to work on how to memorize. We also do work on reading music as well as reading the words. Sometimes I send a song home and ask the boys to read it out loud with their parents just to work on their reading skills, believe it or not. So okay. that, along with the music skills, is plain old reading words off the page is something we work at throughout the year. And that can be a little challenging for some of them, but sure. they grow by leaps and bounds. 
Yeah, and you don't just stick to English even at that level, right? You do some Latin and... Oh, we do all sorts of stuff. I've always picked songs both within the boys' choir's mission of promoting American music Mm -hmm. as well as songs from places we've been around the world. So I can just about guarantee that the first day of Beguine Cadets... Almost every year, we start with something as simple as Frère Jacques and do it in French with these little seventh graders or seven-year-olds. And they have a lot of fun learning that short little song. Mm -hmm. And then we can do it in a round later, but that's we start right there. And then later we do songs from Australia and songs in Hebrew and all over the place. And it's really nice because if you can tell boys a story they just love stories mm-hmm. and i can connect the repertoire i've chosen with different places the choir's been so i can usually tell them a story about that that goes with the piece try to get them excited about the future in the boys choir looking ahead to when they're in performing choir right. and can go on tour one day yeah and so you're not just educating them in music or in reading but you're also educating them in culture and geography and that this world is much bigger than this small region you're not so pigeonholed to just this philadelphia area absolutely that's a critical thing for both jeff and i is respect of others I'd say respect comes first, that we try to teach from day one. Respect of the area that we're in, the buildings and places, as well as respect of others. Mm -hmm. And part of that is learning that the boys' choir's been all of these places. They're not always places that politically are as friendly to the U.S. Uh, We were in the Soviet Union when I was 11 years old. But when we were, I got to live with a Soviet family in their apartment for a few days Hmm. in what then was Leningrad, not St. Petersburg. Okay. And get to know the fact for myself through that homestay experience that the Russian people are wonderful people. Right. That the governments, you have to separate from the people that live there. Right. I try to impart that even to the little guys who won't be touring for a few years, but just so that they know this is something we learn while we're interacting with these different cultures around the world, that the people are wonderful just about everywhere you go. Right. And that level of respect is not just for an international sense, but also the rules of COVID and whether they mask or unmask, just, hey, look, let's respect the kids who choose to mask. Let's respect the kids who choose to not mask and keep that culture of respect. And I think that the way you guys communicated that as a choir was very poignant. And the same thing, too, with, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement, where, you know, you just made sure that the kids were educated enough and were respectful. So I totally see that. Thanks. Yeah, to go along with that, we have always tried, from Dr. Hamilton's time on, to be a choir that shares our gifts with others and participates with those that we meet without becoming political ourselves. Right. So we try to stay very neutral there and just know that we're interacting with people, good people, mm-hmm. everywhere. And let's leave the politics out of it and just have the music and the culture. That's excellent. It's very good to be able to focus on you know the heart of the choir 
and that level of respect even in the midst of political chaos in some ways. You were in the choir, as you said, and as we heard from at least when you were 11. When did you actually start as a member of the choir? So I started in the cadets. Back then we only had one group of cadets and they met once a week and I think there was generally, it was limited to about 20 boys. Oh wow. So one year program before then earning your blazer the next year. So I earned my blazer in the fall of 89, which meant I started cadets the fall of 88. So from 1988 to 89, okay. I was in the training choir. Okay. And have you been part of the choir ever since, or have you had a break, or how did that flow for you? So things have changed as we've learned and grown, even as instructors, realizing that the changing voice is something that you can work with as it's changing, right? as long as you know how to do so in a healthy way. But when I was first in the choir, it was an older style of the thought was that when your voice changed, and you couldn't sing the soprano or alto anymore, that you might need a break for a year or two till you settle fully into a baritone range or fully into a tenor range or bass range. Okay. So in 93 in the spring, instead of graduating, which mm-hmm. is what we call it now, actually we call it being promoted <laughs> from the choir to alumni status. Right. And then you can continue singing now even if you're in a cambiata range in the midway point. But back then, the philosophy was when your voice is changing and you can't quite fit into the men's chorale yet, you need time off. Okay. So uh, spring of 93, actually fall of 93, we had the retirement ceremony Okay. for those of us whose voices had changed. Mm-hmm. It looks exactly like the modern promotion ceremony to alumni. So we come up, we say thank you to our chaperones, to our parents, and back then Dr. Hamilton and Fitz, who was our accompanist, mm-hmm. and all the staff, and we give a little speech, and then we are wow. we were given our alumni pin. But at that point, we weren't allowed to sing anymore Okay. for a couple of years to our voice settled. So I did take a break from singing for two years before coming back to men's chorale. Okay. I was very fortunate, though, because... Right around my last year singing, the choir needed to hire a new secretary. They happened to hire my mom, who was looking to go back into full-time work since my sister and I were getting older. Right. So she was working at the choir office, so when I got done Roman Catholic at Braun Vine, head over to the choir office, which was then at 32nd and Powelton, and I started volunteering, taking care of the music library. So for those two years, I wasn't singing, but I was still almost every rehearsal at the building, volunteering and seeing my friends. That's great. So you've been involved even in those years off. Basically then, you have been part of the choir for 34 years, minus the two that you weren't actively in the choir. So 32 years, kind of 34, yeah, including college, correct? Including college, yeah. I went to Susquehanna University, as you did. Yes, yes. It's about a three-and-a-half-hour drive, but I was very fortunate while I was in school that we had a boy who was singing with the boys' choir who lived in Hazleton. Okay. So it was about an hour from school, 
Mm-hmm. And then about another hour and a half to the boys' choir. So every Friday evening, that boy's mom would drive to Susquehanna. Oh, wow. She'd pick me up, take me back. I'd sleep over at their house and have dinner with them. Great, wow. She'd take me down to the city with her son. Okay. On Saturday morning. We'd have to leave maybe around 4.30 in the morning. Wow. <laughs> uh, I'd be here for 9 to 12 with him, and then she would drive me back to college That's before tremendous. driving her son home. She is a wonderful person. Her nephew had been in the boys' choir before I was. Okay. was in the men's chorale when I was. So it was something that she really wanted to do. And right. It was a wonderful way that I was able to keep going while I was in college. Yeah. stay in touch and keep singing that's amazing that you had someone so dedicated to helping you like that are you still in touch with them i haven't seen them in a couple, about two or three years i did see them last at the 50th anniversary okay yeah, yeah. just on a side note susquehanna do you identify as a crusader or a river hawk which way do you go crusader okay same here old school yeah <laughs> yeah, I graduated in 2000, so it was still firmly in the Crusader realm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Just considering that you've been part of the choir for kind of 32, 34 years, you've been here for more than half of the choir's history. Yeah, when I was, my cadet year, which was 88 to spring of 89, was the year when we held the 20th anniversary concert. Okay. So I was actually in the 20th anniversary concert as one of the cadets, which is scary because <laughs> then we had the 25th. That was my last year singing as a boy. Okay. And since then, it's been quite a lot until our most recent 50th a right. few years ago. So right. you figure I did miss the first 20 years, but I've been here for 30 plus since. It's been very wonderful to be part of this family. And so, considering all the history you have, what are some of your favorite memories? You've mentioned the anniversaries, and you've mentioned, you know, some of the stays and even staying with a domestic family. But what memories are some of your favorites? Okay, so that's a little tough, but I'll, I'll try to come up with a couple. Okay. When I was in the boys' choir, we had the wonderful opportunity to perform many times with Ricardo Muti who was the director of the Philadelphia Orchestra at the time. With his background in opera, he was doing several performances at the time, performances of opera, but not in costume. They were concert versions. Okay. So with him, I was able to perform with Luciano Pavarotti several oh, wow. times. Wow, that's awesome. uh, Which was huge when I was a kid, because he was still very active and loved Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And I remember one particular rehearsal. We were at the Academy of Music, and it was just the boys. The full choir part was done, I think, by Westminster Choir College. Okay. But Pavarotti would come into every rehearsal wearing some sort of a scarf to protect his throat and his voice and to stay healthy. And some of the older boys, and I was one of the younger ones at the time, <laughs> thought it would be funny if we showed up to our next rehearsal on stage at the academy and we did this and i don't know where i got the guts to do it but i did it too because everyone did and we all walked in that day and when we walked out on stage having wrapped 
white bath towels around our throats <laughs> like Pavarotti had with his scarf. And he turned around. He was really playful and had a great sense of humor. And he laughed so hard. And I will, I'll never forget him saying, Mi ragazzi, mi ragazzi, my boys, my boys. So, That's you awesome. know, we, we later got to, a couple years later, I think, sing for him when Philadelphia celebrated his birthday okay. Philadelphia had a big birthday celebration for him he was brought in a horse-drawn carriage up the parkway from the cathedral to the art museum and they made sure that he was able to stop the carriage right where the boys choir was standing halfway between and we sang happy birthday just for Luciano Pavarotti. Oh, wow. and again it was his boys yeah. So it was very cool that we had those interactions with him. Sure. Yeah, and I know that there's a picture of him with the boys choir from 82, obviously before your time here, up in the building here in the hall. So it's great to hear that he's had such a history here, and obviously that impacted you in this awesome way. And that also predates the scarves that the boys choir now has for the outdoor performances <laughs> in the winter. So Yes, uh, it does. <laughs> Before the scarves, you were wearing that, so that's cool. After hearing what Mr. Stroud did to Pavarotti, let's hear from the Philadelphia Boys Choir about what we would do to prank Mr. Stroud. Um, this is hard. I probably like, hmm, maybe put like a balloon in his desk and then just pop it in the middle of choir and see if he could get scared. Back when COVID years were still going on, when we were in virtual. One day we were with Mr. Stroud and he fell off his chair while he was teaching us, which was kind of funny. I would put a fake snake in his bag. <laughs> and I'd, I'd like, I'd put like one in the pocket and then put one around the shoe. He has this like cool bag that's all black. I think he has two of them where it's at the bottom of them, it has like a shoe. And the shoe, and one of them's like red and has like red stripes, and the other one has like, I think it's like white and has, uh, no, blue and has white stripes. And it's supposed to be a like fire nice or something like that. I'm not entirely sure what it is, but I would like wrap snakes around it. Uh, my favorite thing about Mr. Shout is how he's always like, he kind of understands if you mess something up because everybody messes up. And he's always kind of like joking about stuff. And if he's serious, it doesn't really last for long, unless we're in trouble. <laughs> what do you do to get in trouble? Well, like, if, if like some of the other kids are messing around and stuff, then he'll kind of just glare at us. Uh, my favorite story is probably when I was in Beginning Cadets. And uh, I just figured out this until this year. Everybody in the Advanced Cadets and in the choir would call me Mr. Stroud's son, which is just nice. It was, it was nice to know. So I'd say my favorite story about Mr. Stroud was definitely on the Italy tour. Uh, we were coming out of, I think, the ruins of Pompeii when Mr. Stroud uh, comes out with like a 10-foot sword. And we all and we all called him like Lord Stroudicus. And he made a <laughs> salute and everything. And it was really just so funny. So that's why everybody does the saluting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Now back to the interview with Mr. Stroud. 
So in season two of Behind the Blazer, I'm not sure if you know this, but we're highlighting different organizations and companies that have worked with the Philadelphia Boys Choir and Chorale. So far, we've had a few. We've had the Philadelphia Ballet, Opera Philadelphia, Philly Pops. So just wondering if you have any particular memories with any of those groups, or if you want, you can expand beyond them. Any different collaborations that you've really appreciated, whether as a boy or as a man in your time with the choir? Sure, I've got a couple. First foremost is the Nutcracker. Mm-hmm. It's a big part of any boy's life here in the boys' choir. We get to go there, we're there for about an hour. We sing five minutes at the end. But in that first 40 minutes, we really get to form friendships and bonds with each other while we're just waiting to warm up. Right, And it's a huge part of how a lot of the guys in the choir find friends. It always has been, and it's just a lot of fun. It's a ton of driving for the parents. <laughs> it's, they're not as fond of it, but the boys really love it. And it's, it's been just fantastic socially over the years. So that's one. Mm-hmm. Another one that was incredibly cool for me was when we got back from the China trip. Now, we had been in China in 2015 for about 24 days. It was a long trip. Right. But we knew when we were coming back, and this was very exciting, that the next day we were going to get to perform with the Philadelphia Orchestra at the Man Music Center. Mm-hmm. And we did the music for the first Lord of the Rings film, The oh, Fellowship right. of the Ring. Yeah. So we got there the next day, and it was the boys, me and Mr. Smith, The boys were exhausted from the trip, but they were champs. They were excited that we knew on the tour that we were doing this. So we actually had rehearsed on tour Mm -hmm. for when we came back. It was a long, hot day of rehearsal. And then that night, it was just magical when the orchestra was able to... There's a company that pulls all the music out of the movie. Okay. Only the speaking is left and other special effects. But then the Philly Orchestra, with us and the Mendelssohn Club Choir, performed the music live in time with the score. And the conductor who did that, I think he's from Switzerland, was absolutely fantastic. Everything had to be perfect, but he had a lot of fun doing it. So that was just a great experience, especially because I love Lore of the Rings to begin with. Right, yeah, you're an avid reader, as you told me before. Is Tolkien one of your favorite authors, or do you have a favorite genre? Absolutely Tolkien. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And then my favorite genre tends to be epic fantasy. Okay. So uh, David Eddings is another one I really like. Uh, C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. Mm -hmm. Um, I I love being transparent to these wonderful places that books can take you but now the third one I wanted to mention was that we had a collaboration going for a few years with the Australian Youth Choir we actually went there in 1992 it had been the choir's second time the choir had gone to Australia in 72 one of their first tours Okay. 20 years later we went back when I was a boy and we got to sing with them at the Sydney Opera House, which was <laughs> just mind-blowing. And I got to do a barbershop quartet part of a medley oh, that's uh, cool. at the Sydney Opera House, which was so much fun. <laughs> then about two years later, we decided that we were going to, together, the two choirs, commission a work 
for choir for both of us. And we ended up commissioning our then accompanist, Joe Fitzmartin, to write a concert mass. Oh, wow. It ended up, he started off with one or two movements, but by the time he was done over a few years, there were five regular movements of the mass in Latin, Kyrie, Gloria, Credo, Sanctus Benedictus, and Agnus Dei, and then two interjections, Psalm 23 in, in English, and the Our Father, the okay. Lord's Prayer, right. in English. So it ended up being this seven-movement work. And we, again, in 96, went to Australia. By then I was 17 and chaperoning my first time (laughs) in the men's corral. I only had two boys to chaperone and plenty of adults who were helping me out where I needed it. But I was singing again baritone, and we went back to Australia, and we performed the whole work at the Sydney Opera House with the Australian Youth Choir. Combined, it was huge number of kids and men and then they came to visit us and we performed it with them up at Carnegie Hall oh wow that's awesome actually I have to make sure I get this right so they came to visit us I can't remember if we did that work at Carnegie Hall I'm 99% sure but we had a joint performance up at Carnegie Hall which Mm -hmm. was surprisingly not my first time in Carnegie Hall (laughs) We got to perform there with Moody and Pavarotti when I was a kid for one of the performances. But it's been amazing to perform in Carnegie Hall and Sydney Opera House and these huge, very famous places that so many huge musicians have performed in. Right. My favorite memory, personally, of hearing my son sing as part of the choir was hearing Shenandoah at Carnegie Hall a few years ago, you know, before COVID. It was just, it was so moving. It was incredible. But thinking about the Australian youth choir, you know, obviously the Philadelphia Boys Choir doesn't sound like we're from Philadelphia when they're singing. There's that accent. Is there an accent difference in the vocals between the Australian choir and the Philadelphia Boys Choir? When they were singing, do you mean? Yes, during singing. Yeah, I don't think it was that noticeable because both groups, when we were singing, were pronouncing things very English style, meaning the country, England, the Queen's English and whatnot. The diction was quite excellent. The vowel shapes were phenomenal. And so we were mostly pronouncing things and sounded the same. I suppose both groups would have had a slight tinge of, yes, they sound a little American, the Philadelphia Boys Choir. Yes, they sound very Australian, the Australian Youth Choir, but not to the point where listeners would have noticed or been thinking to themselves oh this just doesn't sound right together right because again good singing is good singing and we were singing latin together and worked very hard on the pronunciation for it so that it was good choral diction and enunciation that's awesome that you can do that and combine in such a way and that that's really incredible Thinking about the genres, you talked about your favorite genre is fantasy in reading. If you were to choose a genre or an organization with whom the Philadelphia Boys Choir has either not yet worked with or hasn't sung in that sort of way, what would you think would be a lot of fun or or a good experience? That's a good question. We've done performances with pop musicians before, so that's always been fun. We even did a performance at Carnegie Hall with some Christian pop big names that was conducted by David Clydesdale, who's 
done a lot of arrangements and compositions that the boys have performed. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I think it would be fun to do something with a rock ensemble, though. You know, like a big rock band or, you know, I don't know what, though. That would be fun. That or really to do a movie score. Right, uh, yeah. in And get the opportunity to learn really how that is recorded, worked on within the studio. Sure. And interact with those studio musicians. That would be very cool. Yeah, and you don't, I mean, in this day and age, you don't even have to be in New York or L.A. to be able to access that as well. I agree with you. I think that would be a really awesome experience for the choir and everything as far as being in the movie. Let's hear this music sample from the days of yore, when Mr. Stroud was a boy in the choir. Enjoy! piece this old has survived the decades. Now let's go back to the interview with the Philadelphia Boys Choir's own Don Stroud. So going into your background then uh, we talked about how you earned your bachelor's degree at Susquehanna. You also went for more education with Temple University getting a master's of music in choral conducting. Have you always wanted to teach and conduct music? You know it's funny when you're a little kid It wasn't something that I thought about right away when I was a little kid. Mm -hmm. In fact, my last year in the boys' choir, I was 12 turning 13. I switched from soprano one to alto one, which was tough for me after being a soprano for so many years. Sure. But when I made the switch, I ended up sitting next to the guy who would eventually become my best friend in the boys' choir, Ray Barr. Ray and I would get together that year over at his house or at my house. And over at his house, I remember one day specifically that he brought out the recording of John Rutter's Gloria, Mm -hmm. which we both loved from being in the boys' choir. And he started conducting to it. And he said, here, you should try. This is fun. (laughs) And that was the first time I ever considered conducting anything and actually for my birthday or for Christmas that year I forget which one he bought me a little baton and that's when I started thinking about it okay I knew by high school that I wanted to be a teacher I hadn't focused in necessarily on music right away okay but I knew that I enjoyed working with other kids and tutoring and through the boys choir by then I was in the men's corral even so also being a role model as well as you can for younger right. guys. Right. 
and I just enjoyed helping them along. So by the time I was a junior in high school, I decided to audition to become the assistant drum major for a marching band at Roman, which was a small marching band, but still mm -hmm. awesome. Sis, I'll never forget, Sister Diane said, well, you're so quiet, John. Can you, do you think you can project your voice so you'll be heard? And I said, I can project my voice, Sister Diane, don't worry. Because <laughs> <laughs> of all my years in the boys' choir, I yeah. can project when I want to. Right. So I ended up becoming assistant drum major, and then senior year, drum major, and conducted a piece or two in our spring concert at wow. Roman Catholic. And that's why I knew I had the bug. I wanted to become a conductor. Went to Susquehanna. Cy Stratansky was instrumental with me there, as well as Dr. Valerie Martin. She was the instrumental conductor mm -hmm. of the symphonic band there. And both of them were incredibly dynamic, mm -hmm. fantastic educators, and just fueled the fire for me. Yeah, my roommate was a music major, as I've told you before, at Susquehanna, and I remember him struggling to keep quarters on his hand to be able to conduct. Did they do that to you as well? No, we didn't do quarters. We didn't do that, but we did have exercises where, you know, you would have a count of eight, and you would slowly raise your hand up evenly over the count of eight, and then slowly down again and then you'd work on your hands moving in different directions over a count of eight, with the idea being that the movement is smooth and flowing without any jerking or stopping, that you get used to it. Okay. Yeah, so we did have certain exercises we had to do. You have a position as a music teacher, not just here as the associate music director, but the music teacher at Harvard School. Haverford. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> I appreciate your correction. No problem. Uh, so you're at Haverford School. Can you tell us about that? And also, do you teach instrumental music there as well? Okay, so I don't teach a lot of instrumental music there. My first teaching job at, was at Roman Catholic, and there I did. I had the concert band, jazz band, choir, all the liturgical music wow. for the four years that I was there, okay. which was a ton of fun especially having been an alumnus of the school. But then I got an offer I couldn't refuse <laughs> from the Haverford School. And it was so hard to leave Roman because I just, everything was going well. I loved it being an alum. Mm -hmm. But actually it was through the boys' choir that I first heard about the opening at Haverford. Okay. We had some boys' choir parents. Their sons were at Haverford and in the boys' choir. And they came to me and said, hey, John, this position is opening up you should apply for it. And I did, and I ended up getting it. Mm -hmm. And then I had to make a really tough choice to leave my alma mater to go there. Right. But I knew I was going to a school that was very well known for decades for its choral program. Working with all boys, which is what I loved doing, which is why I'm back with the boys' choir. Sure. So it ended up being a fantastic move for me. And at Haverford, I have a full group choir that's, that's extracurricular. They meet in the mornings okay. um, before school and during homeroom. And then I have a select choir that's pulled from that of boys, maybe about 16 to 20 boys. It depends on the year. Mm -hmm. Originally, it was all soprano alto. It's grown over the last 15 years since I've been there. So that my middle school choir is now soprano alto tenor bass. Okay. 
And right before COVID hit, we had, I think the largest number that I had in the middle school choir, we had 70 boys singing. Wow. Uh, totally as extracurricular, just for fun. And it really had grown a lot. And then we're now trying to rebuild since COVID's hit. I'm down closer to 33 this year, but okay. we'll get it back. Sure. But yeah, besides those two choirs that are extracurricular, I do teach classroom music. So sixth grade is regular general music, learning how to read notes, solfeggio, a little bit about classical composers, uh, instruments of the orchestra, that sort of thing. And I try and make it a lot of fun for the guys. And then in seventh and eighth grade, we continue that, but we also add in the guitar. Oh, cool. So I teach class guitar for the 7th graders and the 8th graders. Mm -hmm. And in 7th grade, we also study the birth of rock and roll, which is a really fun topic for the kids. Sure. And we're talking the days of Chuck Berry and Elvis Presley and Little Richard. And we talk about, from the viewpoint of what was American society like in the 1950s. Oh, yeah. Just before the big parts of the civil rights movement. Sure. And how was rock and roll viewed at the time? Why was it viewed negatively? Mm -hmm. Well, a part of that was racial in origin. It was considered to be African-American music mm -hmm. from African-American culture. At first, that's one of the big reasons that it wasn't accepted. But the kids loved it. Right. We, we talk about how that impacted society. How kids being able to dance together at rock concerts mixing whether they were white or black didn't matter to them at the moment right and how that kind of also went along with and helped a little bit the civil rights movement it's some wonderful topics we get to discuss through that birth of rock and roll segment that we do so i really particularly enjoy teaching that each year that sounds tremendous. I mean, I'm really moved by that because it really shows your desire to teach not the subject, but the kids. And that you are focused on also not just the music, but the history. And so, so much of a well-rounded piece of education. You know, when you started talking about the history of rock and roll, my mind went first to School of Rock with Jack <laughs> Black. And then I thought about Back to the Future, where, you know, mm -hmm. when he's playing the guitar and saying, oh, you know, Chuck Berry. But... What you're describing, I can only imagine, is so much more robust and just diving right into what their grandparents lived through and just get a better sense of what we're going through now, too, in light of that. That's tremendous. I have to give you kudos for being such a visionary and creating that. That's really awesome. Thanks. That's been a huge goal for me in my teaching style from the beginning, is not just to teach music. Right. Haverford's motto, one of their mottos, is preparing boys for life. And I really do try to do that through the teaching of music. Right. Rather than teaching music and hope that that happens. It's something that I've worked at very hard over the last 15 years to make as intentional as I could. Because I know how much these sorts of topics can impact the students and right. help them to respect for others within their own lives even yeah and it's the fruit of the care that you give and also empowers you to be even more of a role model and a trusted confidant I'm sure for the kids especially when they come to you in some sort of need that you're there for them and they know that you would be if they needed you here's a piece from mr. Stroud's time 
which is still ongoing with the chorale. It's great having full SATB pieces to bring our audience. Hear how the men back us up. More than just the chorale backing up the choir, the opening of this song is actually John Stroud singing a solo. Enjoy. In a world gone mad, there is comfort to be had in a game that I played at school. Men of class competing on the grass were sportsmanship and fellowship and courtesy. conclude our interview with our own associate director John Stroud. In 2022 the Philadelphia Boys Choir is going to Puerto Rico. You take Haverford School to Puerto Rico, is that correct? Well what happens is it's not the choir or the music department. What we do for many years now, Haverford has taken the eighth grade okay. as a cultural trip. Oh, okay. To Puerto Rico. And I've had the wonderful opportunity at least twice over the years to chaperone that trip. Okay. And uh, we've had as many as 80 boys go. Wow. So it's, in a lot of ways, the same number of guys as on a boys' choir tour. Right. But they have a lot of fun. They do a whole lot of, not just touring around, they do at least one, if not two of the four days that they go, which is a short trip. Mm -hmm. They're doing community service down oh, wow. in Puerto Rico as well. And we've done everything from painting a playground, actually painting games like hopscotch on the ground for kids at a young school because mm -hmm. they had no games outside of the school in the schoolyard. We've even visited with a fantastic orphanage where the students in the orphanage have various challenges learning-wise. Okay. And we went in, we met the kids that lived there, we, our boys did a great job. We, we did some cleaning out of a big trailer that they had that needed to be totally emptied so that they could start using it. Mm -hmm. But then we got to meet the kids, and then we got to go across the street and play basketball with those kids. And... It was amazing. Hmm. It was just fantastic for our boys from Haverford to share that moment with those kids in that orphanage. It was terribly moving. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. goes right with the preparing boys for life, just the service and the community and the being part of somebody's life in such a way. Exactly. So we mentioned also about COVID, of course. What challenges have you had? We didn't even talk about the the role you have as the Media Chamber Corral Artistic Director. But regarding all the different roles you've had, <laughs> how has COVID-19 impacted all the different organizations 
you've been a part of him and what do you do to recover what have you been working on with that yeah so you're very familiar with the boys choir we had a lot of zoom rehearsals and a lot of recording right and i have to give the biggest respect to jeff for the job he did uh, yeah. because taking those recordings mixing them putting them together with the videos that jeff did the the huge the most part of that and it was just a ton of work right and yeah. that allowed me to do some of the similar things for my other groups where i'm involved okay so at haverford we were actually still rehearsing in person but outside okay so there were some very chilly days in october november that year where we would stand outside distanced apart with masks on and try to rehearse as a choir. And then uh, sometimes if the weather was too bad, we'd have to go inside, sit distanced, not sing at all. Hmm. Just mentally learn the parts. Okay. But at least there, because we were out of school, we were all there, I was able to keep them all together through that uh, somehow in person, even if we couldn't sing out loud indoors. And then they, like the boys' choir, had to go home and record their parts, mm -hmm. which I then put together. And then after I got the really rough work done, we sent it off to a boys' choir alum, Alfred Goodrich, who has a studio near Haverford. Right. And he did all of the final mixing mm -hmm. to make it good. It worked out. It was hard, but it worked out. My media chamber chorale, we did not get together during COVID in person. Okay. In fact, it was months before we saw each other in person, which was really tough. But we did a lot of Zoom rehearsals. And then that fall, we were lucky to get a grant to do a special project during the time of COVID. Okay. And so what we did, which was, I still can't believe we did it, but it came out beautifully. I took the Charles Dickens Christmas story and I found an abridged version that Charles Dickens used to read out loud himself oh, wow. in public listenings. Mm -hmm. And we decided we're going to record the Christmas story with my singers doing all the voice acting. In between that, we interspersed, or sometimes in the background, Christmas carols that went with the story. So I had to pick all the characters. We took them to Alfred's studio. Because of COVID, you'd have one person come in. They'd be there for maybe 15 minutes recording their own part. Mm -hmm. And then they would leave. And then the studio would have to air out for 15 minutes. Oh, wow. Then the next person would come in. We never had two people at once in the single room. Right. We did have a smaller studio room on the other part of the building. So sometimes we'd have two people at once. But a lot of the vocal acting had to be just recorded as if the other part of the dialogue was not there. Mm -hmm. So then the, the other person for that dialogue would come in later. Right. And Alfred would put the dialogue in their headphones so that they could respond. Oh, okay. We were able to pay Alfred with that grant generously given to us. And then we also hired an artist from New York who did background art for us. It's a version of the Christmas Carol. I call it a musical storybook. 
Okay. We record the organ live with our accompanist. A lot of the music was either well-known choral parts or arrangements that I put together of well-known carols. In fact, we even did the original published version of Jingle Bells, which does not sound like the Jingle Bells we all know and love today. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's got some differences when it was first written up in Boston. Sure. And then the final product was the sound of the singing, the organ, the speaking, all put together beautifully by Alfred. And then on top of that, there was artwork that was mostly from Dickens time, Mm -hmm. sketches of the Christmas story that this woman from New York blended together for us. And that's up on YouTube. And we got done and January hit and we all took a big sigh of relief. (laughs) And that was the big work that year. So Um, that was for Media Chamber Corral. Yeah, that was for our Media Chamber Corral. And then we did lighter stuff in the spring. We weren't ready for another huge thing like that. That that took a lot. Yeah, yeah. In fact, on a side note, I just interviewed Alfred's wife, Cara Mulder Goodrich, as part of the Opera Philadelphia interview. So it's it's good to hear the connection. And, you know, he's a, a PBCC alum as well. And it's pretty cool to hear about him again. But you had asked about rebuilding after COVID? Yes, rebuilding after COVID. So like I said, it's been a little tough at school the last year because for the last two years, in the lower school especially, because the boys were so young that they couldn't get vaccinated as soon as everyone else, Right. they weren't really allowed to sing within music classes in the lower school, Right. let alone have a choir. So this year, for the first time, I had boys come to me in sixth grade who hadn't sung for two years in school, mm-hmm. in a school that's traditionally a very singing community. And then there will be another year or two coming into the middle school. My concern is right now I'm intentionally doing my best to rebuild that singing community. Right. So aside from getting the word out that we have a really good choir to the kids who never thought of singing before, I'm also trying to, in my regular classes, the general music classes, 6th, 7th, and 8th grade, we're doing more singing this year than we normally would to try to reestablish what had been a very strong culture of singing within the school that took a bit of a hit because of COVID. Sure. So we'll get there, but it's going to take a couple years right. to build back up. Yeah. Oh, it sounds, you know, very intentional and, and like a good road forward, even after that big hit. Well, I just have a couple more questions here. Regarding your role and regarding the Philadelphia Boys Choir and Corral, what hopes do you have for the future of the Philadelphia Boys Choir and Chorale? You've been such a huge part of the current and the past, but what do you hope for in the future? I just hope that we keep getting these wonderful opportunities for the boys so that they can have wonderful experiences, eye-opening experiences culturally. We've got a fantastic thing going here, and nothing's perfect, but we are constantly making it better to fit whoever's currently in it. Right. Uh, Jeff's very flexible that way. Mm-hmm. But our, our attention to detail, our strive for excellence has never wavered. So as long as we keep that, along with the respect of cultures going, I just want to be able to see as many new generations of boys come through and benefit the way 
Jeff and I have when we were boys. Yeah. Yeah, and speaking of Jeff and your relationship with him, I mean, from my perspective, I see you guys have this great working relationship, and I expect a personal relationship, too, that really seems to jive. How is your relationship, though? Like, is it a good working relationship? How would you describe it? Because he's the artistic director, you're the associate. How does that work out for you? Yeah, it works out very well. We can both put aside what a lot of artists would have in the terms of worrying about ego that doesn't really come into play here so jeff's just wonderful to work with he's it's his full-time career yeah so he's the boss <laughs> right, right but with that being said we have a very good working relationship if i need to talk to him about something that i might have a concern about this happens everywhere right um, he's open to it and honest and we have no problem having those discussions that's awesome. When we were kids, we were in the choir for a couple of years together. Right, yeah. And there was even one moment where, just at one concert, we had the opportunity that Dr. Hamilton picked me for soprano and Jeff for alto to sing the Ave Maria together. Oh, as wow. As boys, the two soloists. That's awesome. It was, it was very cool. It was always good then because Jeff was one of the older boys and was president of the boys' choir by then. I was one of the younger guys, so it was cool that way. But then so many years later, I look back and I'm saying, wow, we were already thrown together yeah that's <laughs> in a duet back then sure and we have the wonderful opportunity to continue working together artistically now we've been working together since about 2002 so about 20 years yeah and it's been a good working relationship the whole time well it's, it's always looked that way i'm glad to hear it yeah is there anything else you'd like to add to this episode this interview anything you want to talk about that i might not have covered just that if anyone's listening out there, which I hope they are, if you know boys who like to sing or that don't even know that they like to sing, that's my biggest concern, is that a lot of kids who are the age to come in, around 7, 8, 9, 10 years old, they don't know whether they can sing or not. And right. parents, a lot of parents say, oh, they're in sports or they're doing this other thing. But it's not something that they've ever tried before. Mm -hmm. I only was very fortunate to be brought here because my third grade music teacher, and that was my last year in public school, so my last year having music in school till high school, said to my parents, hey, he loves to sing. You should have him audition for a Philadelphia Boys Choir. <laughs> and at that time, we had no clue about it. Nothing. We knew very little right. the day I walked in. Yeah. And it's been nothing but a joy ever since. So if you ever have the opportunity to let your son try it out, or one of your daughters with the girls' choir, I would say please do, even if they don't know if they'll like it at first. Let them try it for a year and see where they go. Because the places they'll go and the things they'll experience, I could not have gotten anywhere else. Well, that's tremendous. Thank you so much. And thank you for your time here. John Stroud is the Associate Music Director of the Philadelphia Boys Choir and Chorale. He is also a teacher at Haverford School and the Artistic Director for Media Chamber Chorale. So I do, again, thank you so much for spending this time and thanks for being part of Behind the Blazer. It's my pleasure, Scott. Thank you for all you do, too. Oh, thank you. This episode of Behind the Blazer Season 2 features the vocal talents of Kieran Krauss, Isaac Mendenhall, 
Jonah Serrata, Gabriel Beckett, Matt Stewart, Charlie Rogers, Mark Houck, Christopher Sempier, and Boo Long. Thanks to all who have participated in the creation of this episode. Behind the Blazer is the official podcast of the Philadelphia Boys Choir and Chorale. Please like, share, subscribe, and give a five-star review. Support our organization, the Philadelphia Boys and Girls Choirs, by donating at pbgcsings.org slash donate. Again, that's pbgcsings.org slash donate. <laughs>